Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, what's up, everybody? Jamie Eads here with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Drum Shuffle. This is episode number 12. We've got a great show for you today. Before we get to our guest, I want to remind everybody, go ahead and hit the subscribe button to whatever service you're using to listen in today. Uh, Leave us a rating or review as well. It helps us tremendously. Keep your emails coming. Our email address is the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum You can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. We have the fantastic Jason Smay joining us here in just a second. Jason is the drummer in JD McPherson's fantastic band. They are on tour right now, and we're going to talk all about that. Uh, you also may know Jason from his time in Los Straight Jacket. It's fantastic instrumental band. Uh, we're going to talk all about that as well. So stay tuned. Lost Cabos drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. As mentioned, we have the wonderful Jason Smay joining us. Uh, Jason is playing in J.D. McPherson's band. Uh, Their new record is called Undivided Heart and Soul, and it's just simply a fantastic record. Um, If you're not familiar with J.D. McPherson's music, please go check them out. Um, Just fantastic. Uh, These guys are on tour right now, and they are uh, all over the country. They will be coming to a city near you uh, very soon. They're out uh, through the end of July, so grab a ticket. Go see Jason's uh, incredible drumming on this tour. We are very happy to have my good friend Jason Smay joining the Drum Shuffle. Hey, Jason, how's it going today? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking the time and uh, coming on to the drum shuffle. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, man. That's, that's my pleasure completely. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're honored to have you on the show. Um, so, Jason, tell, tell our listeners how you got started as a drummer and, and where you grew up and, and kind of the, the beginnings of your story, if you don't mind. Sure, man. It's it's pretty funny. Um, I grew up in in just outside of Rochester, New York, <clears throat> and actually lived there until about two years ago when I moved to, to Nashville. Um, I, I've always been into music. I mean, as a little kid, and 
I honestly didn't want to play the drums when I was a little kid. I wanted to play saxophone. I was obsessed with like tenor saxophone. <laughs> yeah, sure. And and my mom was like, no, your dad used to play the drums. We have drums. We're not spending any money on a tenor saxophone. So if you want to play an instrument, it's going to be the drums. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to play the drums. But it was, you know, that was like mom spoke, you know, and my dad was like, you know, well, we got drums. So let's just go to the local music store and get you some sticks and some drum heads and we'll fix up these old drums. And I just started playing like he, my dad showed me some stuff and I just loved listening to music and my parents loved music and there was just always music on. And, uh, I just, you know, I think I started taking some private lessons. Like, I think it was like the end of my third grade year, you know, in elementary school and like, fourth grade you take that you could start you could start band lessons you know in school you know like the, just the general music teacher would teach you know all the instruments so it was kind of like you know you just would get a basic knowledge you know and like a basic entry to learning to read and then you, you know you're supposed to take it upon yourself but i was getting like a private lesson um with an actual performing you know drummer you know local guy and um I just loved it, man. Like all I did was practice like all the time, you know, and was always listening to music and trying to play to the radio and just, you know, just had that general, you know, genuine, um, in general music, 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 like that's all it was, you know? And, uh, so I just, that's, that's how it all started for me. And then just growing up, just sticking with that, um, I would take lessons from like different teachers, you know, like I would take lessons from one guy for, I don't know, maybe like a year or a year and a half. And then my parents would be like, you should switch and take from someone else. Cause like, you know, it, you're kind of like sounding like that guy, like in the drum room, you know, like they could, my parents would sit outside, you know, in the, mu- the little music store, you know, and yeah. I'd be in there playing and my dad would be like, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, I mean, not totally, obviously, you know, you, when you're a teenager, you know, you're, you're still learning and I'm still in awe of what I watch, like, you know, drummers do. And I'm like, Jesus, I wish I could play like that. You know, everyone has their thing, you know, and like when you don't, when it's not your thing, it's like amazing to you, or it's at least it's amazing to me to watch other drummers and be like, damn, how does that guy do that? Like, yeah, what is he doing? You know? But like in a general sense, like my dad would be like, man, he's playing like he's starting to sound like the teacher because, you know, I would practice like constantly. Like I just would always I mean, like I don't mean like an hour a day. Like, I mean, I would come home from school like if I had any homework, it would be done so fast. It was I might as well not even have done it because I didn't even care. You know what I mean? Like and I just would start playing drums, man. And then I, you know, eat dinner and go back and play drums until it was like, you know. Literally, my parents were like, okay, you really need to just go to bed, you know? Yeah. And So you were doing um, some hardcore woodshed and... Totally, man. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And then when I was like 15, 16, I started like meeting like older musicians because my dad was taking me to see shows, you know, and, uh, you know, like some jazz guys, you know, and uh, I sat in with this one band. They were like an R&B band and... um and they had a sax player and he was like, man, he's like, you got a pretty good groove. He's like, you need to come out on Sundays to my jazz jam, you know? And he's like, I'll get you, in. I'll get you to sit in. And I was like, really? And I was like, 
man, it's a chance to play. I'm going, you know? Sure. So my dad would truck me to the other side of the city, you know, and I was like every Sunday and like, you know, I was like a 15 year old kid. I had no thought of like, Oh, this is a little over my head. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. You know, like I was like, yeah, I'll play, you know, like he'd go up there. And like, I just remember the first six months they would let me sit in on like one song. (laughs) <laughs> you know, right. like, okay, well, let's give this kid a chance, you know, and they were all like really, really super nice guys, you know, and they were really encouraging, you know, and then like, I don't know, after a year, I'd like play three or four songs, you know, but it just inspired me to keep practicing, you know, and like getting hardcore into bebop and, you know, and then uh, I started taking with this other, this other guy um, in Rochester who, who was literally probably, you know, I would put him up there with any of like the jazz guys that I look up to, man. This guy is like extremely talented. His name is Mike Polito and he plays with like New York guys. You know, he goes down to New York and plays and I mean, he's a monster bebop drummer, like real traditional sense. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, he sounds like, you know, he can play Billy Joe stuff and he can play Art Blakey stuff. And you're just like, that guy's got it. You know what I mean? And he's like the sweetest dude. And he was like really patient with me. I took from him for like two years where I was like, you know, I had like a pretty, pretty confident, like, you know, I could, I could go and play jazz. You know what I mean? Like I was trying to get jazz gigs and like, you know, I'm not Brian blade or, you know, you know, Joe Farnsworth or any of those guys, you know what I mean? But like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and now you would only get better if you kept playing. But in Rochester at that time, I don't know what it is right now, but like there's only like one or two places that would play. You could get a jazz gig. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's like, OK, so I got this world class guy that I was taking lessons from. It's like playing jazz in Rochester on those gigs. <laughs> right. And there's this other guy that was really good. And then there's this other, you know, there's like three main guys that were like really killer jazz guys in like one or two places to play on a Friday or a Saturday. So it's like, you know, I gotta, I gotta branch out here and start playing other music because I, you know, at that point I was kind of like, I just wanted to play. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It wasn't, you know, I was like, I was thinking, I'm doing all this practicing, but if there's no gigs to be had, like I either gotta move, which it, you know, 18 or 19, you know, doesn't really, doesn't really make sense, you know, or, you know, start playing other music. And it was it like one of those jazz gigs that I actually did have that there was some, some like, uh, there's a couple of blues guys that showed up and, um, they, they talked to me after the gig. And they're like, man, you ever, you ever play like R and B music? And I was like, well, you know, not, not necessarily in a band situation, but I mean, I love that stuff. You know, and they're like, well, you should, you should come out. You got a really cool swing, you know, and you're playing. And, um, right. So it was an opportunity so, to branch out a little bit at that yeah, point. Yeah. And I was like, well, shit, man. <laughs> like, and then I started playing, you know, like on the, like the sort of like the blues R and B circuit, you know, cause, um, one, one guy that I took lessons from before I took from this guy, Mike, um, was another guy named Mike, but he was like a traditional blues guy, but he played a lot of Latin music too. Right. And he taught me to play some, some Latin grooves, but like he really he taught me how to keep a, a, like do a really, you know, really solid, you know, swing and shuffle, you know, Sure. which I kind of walked away from for a little while because when you start playing with jazz guys, you know, 
you know, like they don't want to play shuffle stuff. They want it to be, you know, they don't want to hear the backbeat. You know what I mean? Right. They, um, yeah. They want you to swing. Right. They, it's total swing, but like, you know, they don't want to hear the backbeat, you know? And, and I, I kind of found like, once I went back to start playing like the R and B stuff, um, I, I found like a lot of joy in it, man. Like, cause you know, it's like, it, it can be really fun music. And I was like, man, you know, I found a way to swing in work, <laughs> you know, and it was like, you know, sh- and I, in shuffling, you know, and like, I just like have this thing, like, I really love to play shuffles, man. Like with the right, in the right situation, man, with like the guy, with guys that want to play shuffles, it's great for me personally. Like I, I love that more than when I played any jazz gigs, you know what I mean? Looking back. Right. It's like, I just got more out of that. And, um, and it, it just, it just, I was like an, it, it seemed more natural fit for me to play that style than to try and play bebop, you know, even though I really love bebop, you know, like sometimes, you know, it's just what you love isn't what you do. You know what I mean? Like you can still love it, but it's not really what you thought you were going to, you know what I mean? Sure. So I kind of, I kind of realized quick that I was like, well, maybe I'm not really a jazz drummer, but you know, shuffling is, is pretty cool. And then I went on to discover like all this, like, I mean, all the Bill Doggett stuff, you know, is like, it's jazz. I mean, that's like, that's jazz music, man. I mean, like he's a great jazz organist and, you know, but all his stuff was like combo stuff that people could dance to. And it was like the guy was shuffling, man. And it was like, wait, this is kind of like a mix of both. And then, you know, there's so many groups like that. Earl Bostic, man, was another great, you know, King recording artist that like all his stuff. I was with this, played in this one rock and roll band and we would call that stuff jukebox jazz. Cause it was like, you know, it was like very jazz oriented, but it, it was like, you could almost classify it as sort of like early rock and roll because you could dance to it and it like had a groove and, Right, it was more, more acceptable to the masses, you know, yeah. or, or accessible, I should say, yeah. And, you know, and I was like, Shit, man, this is really cool, too. And so, I don't know, man, I just, I started getting into the roots scene, you know, through the blues scene. And, you know, one thing led to another, you know, I started playing a lot of blues gigs. And then um, this Western Swing guy, like, it was really weird. It was like at the same club, I was doing this. I started playing at this one club down in Rochester called Shep's Paradise, which was like a blues and jazz club. And um, I was playing down there like, I don't know, two, three times a month with different bands, you know, on the blues circuit, you know. And um, I was in there one night and this dude showed up and he was like total cowboy, man. And I was like, man, this guy's out of place, you know, like (laughs) this is like, you know, but a lot of guys knew him, you know, a lot of musicians knew him. And, um, you know, he was like, you know, pretty young guy but he had like a, a functioning western and um and he was like looking for a new drummer and he was like man he goes i see you playing all over town and he's like you got a really good swing groove you know and he's like you ever play western swing music and i was like nah i don't even know what it is man <laughs> you know what i mean like right i had never heard that classification of music you know so you hadn't been baptized and, into the bob wills yet right no none of that man and he was like well here come out you know come out check this out you know and you know went outside to his van you know not creepily went out to his van but like you know like you know he's like yeah come here well check this out tell me if you like this you know and he was like playing me this bob will stuff and he was playing me you know some of his stuff and i was like man that's cool and he's like would you be interested in doing some gigs and i was like sure he's like well he's like man i got a tour starts you know like next week 
you interested in going on the road? And I was like, hell yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, it was like, yeah, man, for sure. You know, and that's, that was like my first road gig was playing with this Western swing guy. And, uh, it, it went terribly wrong. Honestly, the, the band did like, uh, you know, but it was like my first chance of getting out of town in a band and, you know, a lot of things that, you know, you learn from starting out like, okay, <laughs> now I know how to avoid this thing. And, you know, like you just, it was a crash course, you know, but. Yeah. Well, in, uh, in that first experience, you're either in or out after it's over, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I was basically out. I'll be honest with you, man. I was kind of <laughs> like, you know what, man, if this is what it is, I'm good. Like I'll, I'll continue to work in a machine shop, you know, four days a week, five days a week. And I'll play three, four nights a week, you know, and I'm good, you know, like I, I, I'm okay with that, you know? And my wife was like, are you kidding? Like, this is what you've always dreamed of. Like, just cause that guy's, you know, not the right guy for you, you know, there's gotta be other things, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, babe, you know, <laughs> I was like, right. it was pretty crazy, you know, like, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty, you know, mild guy, you know, I'm not a partier and, you know, for me, it's more about playing music and, and, and having a band and being like in a good band than it is just about, you know, the free beer and, and, sure. you know, sure. <laughs> fans or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, you know, to me, it's like, I want to make music. I don't want to just like, you know, right. Whatever. Well, and so you're one of those guys that, um, you know, and, and we don't know each other well, but you are the guy that, you know, you understate everything kind of thing and you, you don't um, understand how incredible you are as a player. I mean, I, I <laughs> really, I mean, Oh man, I was having a conversation with, with one of our mutual friends that, that hooked us up and, and I, I'm going to give a shout out to Josh Touchton. Um, yeah, man. But you know, we were sitting there talking about you. I hope your ears weren't burning. But we <laughs> we both want to cut off your left hand and oh, and and, it, and attach it to our own bodies because you know, for for people that may not be familiar with your playing, and, and we'll talk about some of the the bigger gigs, um, you know, in just a second. But um, if if somebody hasn't seen you play, you know. Don't hesitate. Get on YouTube. Look up Jason Smay because you are one of the few guys besides Stuart Copeland that I know of that can get the power that you get playing traditional grip. It's it's un, <laughs> it's unreal, man. It's just unreal. Uh, thanks, man. Well, I appreciate that. I, You know, um. Well, that's really that's really nice of you to say that, man. I really do appreciate it. I well, it's I mean it's I it's one hundred percent honest, and <laughs> you know, and, and that probably comes from your upbringing in in the jazz gigs. Honestly, you know, I mean that's sure. that's how you learn to play, and you've adapted that over the years. Sure. Well, I can tell you, like, I really, um, I really worked as a kid, like as a kid, kid. I mean, probably like nine, ten years old like just studying buddy rich videos, you know, like my, my dad bought me, my mom and dad bought me like the, they used to put them out, man, like the drumming videos, you know, and it would be all like the old footage of big band era guys, you know, and there'd be a lot of buddy rich stuff and Gene Krupa. And, you know, um, I think there was like, you know, it wasn't so much great footage of like Sid Catlett, but I was a big Sid Catlett fan, man. Cause like 
I just thought he was like the coolest guy and like had like a really good gig and like he swung really well. And then I got into Davey Tuff and it was like a Davey Tuff fan, but like footage of him is kind of hard to find. But what I obsessed about was like this, like the raw power that Buddy Rich had. Yeah. I would just watch that and be like, damn, that guy's a badass, you know, like, and just want to be like buddy man like not personality wise but like <laughs> you know but you know and it's so funny man because i've read so many things about him and, and, and as a kid i read like the mel torme book about buddy rich and I, I read like uh i forget the dude's name that wrote i think it's like man i forget he wrote this book called drum and men i don't know if you're familiar with that book but it's like a really great book on like it, it starts with Chick Webb, you know, and it goes all the way up into like the, I think the early fifties, big band guys. Gotcha. And then there's a second book he wrote out. Um, and it's called drum and men Two: the bebop years. And it's all the bebop guys, you know? And, you know, I just would read everything about buddy, you know, and you hear the tapes, you know, of him cussing out his band and, you know, but like from the interviews I've read, you know, and, and things I've seen, like he actually, you know, some people may not believe this, but like was probably one of like the the best band leaders because all he cared about was giving people his audience the best show that his band was capable of. And in his own way, him yelling at people, threatening to fire him was his way of getting people fired up to say like, well, screw you, man. I'm going to play my ass off tonight. And what are you going to say? You know what I mean? Like he was just trying to get the best out of his players. And like in the Mel Torme book, they talk about him, you know, like if you were sick, you know, he was a guy and you were on tour with buddy. Like he was in your room, like making sure you had chicken soup and making sure that you were taken care of. And like, you know, he took care of you, you know, like you were his guy, you know what I mean? Sure. And then he'd yell at you probably for, you know, making him take care of you. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, he was, well, he had, he had high standards as well. He should. And, you know, when you're arguably the greatest drummer alive, you know, yeah. you you can demand that your band be the greatest, you know, trumpet player or bass player or whatever the case may be. Right. He just had really right. high standards and, and demanded a lot of his guys. And, you know, you can't fault the guy for that because they were at the, no. at the top of the heap for many, many years. Oh, yeah, man. So getting back to my left hand, I know that was a long winded <laughs> sidetrack, uh, but you can tell I love Buddy and I will defend him till the day I die as far as him being you know, amazing. And my, my, literally my favorite drummer is Buddy Rich, you know I mean? Hands down. I mean, I, I love a lot of people and it, it's, it goes for me, it's like Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa, like Dave Tuff. And then, you know, I'll have to say Al Jackson Jr. from Stax and then, and then Ringo Starr. And I, and that's a tough one for me because I love both of those guys, but I kind of, there's just something about Al's playing, man. Like for me, like on everything that he played, it was just absolutely perfect, you know? Absolutely. And, and he ran those sessions, man. You know, I've read a bunch of stuff with that. Like he was the guy that could call, like if something was not right, you know, he was like the only guy in the room musician wise, you know, aside from the producer that could say, wait a minute, this isn't, this ain't right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's, that's pretty, like, that's pretty heavy, man. When you got like those kind of players in the room, you know what I mean? But, all those guys had really good left hands, you know, and, you know, I just, 
I just studied that and I would practice on my, you know, my, my thighs, you know, with drumsticks Sure. when there's no rebound off your leg. You know what I mean? Like I would practice double stroke rolls, like off my leg. Like that's how I would just, that's what I would practice would just be doing like rolls and paradiddles and like stuff that, you know, you generally, they tell you to use a bounce. You know what I mean? Sure. Like learn to control the stick bounce. Well, on your leg or on a pillow, there's no bounce. Right. Yeah. You're not going to do molar technique on right on a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like that's how I would practice, man. And that's how I would practice at night in my room because like my parents are like, okay, you know, the neighbors, your sister, we all need a break. Right. You know en- I mean? Enough drums for today. Yeah. Yeah. So I would just go in my room and, you know, sit there and practice, you know, playing along to records or, you know, just playing roles on my leg. You know what I mean? That's just what I did. And I didn't think like my master plan was in 20 years, I'm going to have this left hand that Josh touched and is going to threaten to cut off. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I was just like, well, I'll just practice here cause it's quiet. You know what I mean? And like, then I realized like, like, Holy man, like I can play fast and I can play strong. You know what I mean? Like I can, you know, I can, you know, I have a lot of power out of my left hand and that's the only thing I can contribute to that was just practicing on something that has zero bounce in doing, you know, rolls. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever it is you did, it worked wonders because I mean, it, it, you know, and, and I don't say it lightly, um, you know, it, it's very impressive for a traditional grip player to be able to play with that that power and, and fluidity that you possess. And, you know, those things have all, you know, kind of, um, led you to the gig that you're in now. But, but before we get to, to JD, I know you spent some time playing in, you know, kind of a, um, how do I want to say this? A cult favorite for sure, you know, (laughs) um, lost straight jackets. And, you know, I live in central Kentucky and you could almost set your calendar by, you know, it's that time of year. Lost Straight Jackets is coming to town, and I don't, sure. I don't care where Lost Straight Jackets was playing; it was a sellout. I mean, you, yeah, you know, people just love that band. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up in that gig, and and um, you know, anything you want to share about that band? Sure, man, I'd love to. Um, that's some of my favorite touring years was in Los straight jackets not to say that my touring years are over but like i have really strong uh feelings towards those guys because it was really my first pro gig that i ever got you know what i mean sure. like um those guys treated me so well and they still do like i'm still really good buddies with eddie pete danny our old manager jake and i'm actually buddies with jimmy lester like not that that should be a surprise but you know i was the guy that replaced jimmy lester and he was still is an amazing drummer that i love to go and see whenever i have time off in nashville uh he because he's just he's just one of those guys man that is like he's always he's always he's always gigging and he's always like doing cool you know like you know he's the kind of guy that you go and watch and like he'll play this crazy fill in like, and it's like totally awesome. And like, it's perfect. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be like, I don't, like, I guess the way to describe it is like, you ever listen to, there's that, um, 
um, Beyond the Sea, the Bobby Darren song. Oh yeah, sure. And there's those like those drum fills are just amazing. Like they're just like <laughs> yeah, not like what you would expect. You know, they're kind of out of left field. And I was once told that that was Earl Palmer playing on that session, and then someone told me no, it's actually Irv Kotler. I don't know who it is, but whoever it is, it's crazy. You know, they do that crazy triplet, you know, like it's like completely out of time, but nails it. Yeah. And it, everyone comes in on one. That's Jimmy. Like Jimmy does it all the time. And it's just like, I'll go watch him play and I'll be laughing. Oh, sorry. I'll be laughing. Cause like, you know, like he's the only guy I know that can play stuff like that and nail it. Like every time, like never does he ever blow it. You know, I've seen guys try to do it, you know, and it's like, oh, come in on like sort of right, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, you know, it's and it's and it's cool because like he's taking a risk, you know. But Jimmy just does it. It's like his, you know, he just does it naturally, and he's one of my favorite drummers. But um, in replacing him was kind of a, a, you know, it was really interesting part of my life because I was in this other band um, uh, called High Risers, and it was a rock and roll trio, original music stuff, and we. We're starting to tour, and we were on Eddie Angel, lead guitar player in Los Stray Tickets, uh, his own label. He's got a label called Spin Out Records. Okay. And um, I was playing in that band, and I was also working with this other band because once I started getting out on the road with guys that I liked, I, that's all I did. You know what I mean? I was like, oh man, I got, I got to do this tour. I'm gonna do that tour. So um, the High Risers worked, you know, mainly around New York, you know, um, New York City, in kind of regional, you know, but, um, some, one of the guys had, you know, uh, younger kids and it was a little harder for him to tour. So we just did what we could do. And I started working with this other straight up rockabilly band that just was like our touring gig for me. And that guy, Mark was really good buddies with Eddie and Eddie knew who I was cause I was on his label, but I'd never worked with him. So my buddy Mark was like, Hey Eddie, let's do a tour. Well, it'll be my band, which was my buddy Mark, myself, and a bass player, and we'll back you up, and you can do like some of your solo stuff, you know, or low straight jackets, whatever you want to do. And Eddie was like, "Oh, it's great! I'll be up in New York for the summer, you know. We'll do some shows." And I was like, "Great!" So I get sent like you know two CDs worth of music that I got to learn, you know. So I learn all this music. I meet Eddie finally, you know, and super cool dude and just love his playing amazing guitar player and you know we did the first show and him and i hit it off you know just like dug the same stuff and he dug my playing and you know just it was great you know it's like when you meet people that like you click with musically it's cool you know and you kind of know it pretty soon absolutely pretty early and you know i felt that way and i'm pretty sure he felt that way and then he said man would the high risers be interested in coming on the road like doing a little straight jackets Christmas tour. And I said, sure. So I got to meet all those guys. We did like three weeks with them and it was great, man. It was really great. And, um, got to hang out with Jimmy and probably three or four months after that tour. Um, I don't know like the, all the ins and outs, but basically Jimmy was coming off the road and was going to go back with Webb. Um, and he also had his own business. He like a, a, a business still has a business in Nashville. That's very successful. And I, I don't know like if there was more to it, but basically from what I was told, Jimmy was leaving the band because he had other commitments. He wanted to go back to play with Webb. Um, whatever, you know, that's just, that's basically what I was told. So right. I, uh, 
I call, uh, I got called from Eddie and he said, Hey man, um, would you be interested in doing some dates with all straight jackets? And I said, yeah, I'd love it. You know? And he said, okay. He's like, well, he's like, we've got some things covered because we don't know what's going on. I think Jimmy's going back with Webb, you know, and he's leaving the band. So he's like, I don't know if you're familiar with Lisa Pankratz, um, but she's another really great drummer out of Texas. She did some shows with them. And then um, he's like, she can't do some of the shows. So we're wondering if you could do these gigs. So I did a handful of gigs. And then like a week later, their manager called and said, hey, you know, we'd like to offer you the gig. That's huge. The gig full time. Huge. And I was like, I was like, oh, really? And, you know, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, all the guys know you. They've worked with you. Um, you obviously know the music because you've worked with Eddie in the past, you know. So can you do it? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, well, next month, you know, there's like, we got a gig backing up Eddie Clearwater, which was a really cool record they did um, called uh, Rock and Roll City. And it was, uh, well, Straight Jackets backing up Eddie the Chief Clearwater, who's like the legendary Chicago blues guy right. and, and rock, early rock and roll guy, actually. Right. And um, like, you got to learn his set. And then the next night you got to learn a set that they're going to back up Big Sandy, Robert Williams. Uh, cause they do a, they've always done shows backing up big Sandy and then we're going to go to Mexico city and we got to do like a full band show. So I, I had like a month to learn <laughs> three complete shows, you know, of all, you know, like all different material, you know, and not just learn them, but like, like really learn them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can't, there's no, there's no flubbing these cause these were all festivals that we were playing that like. You know, yeah, you're, you're, big deals. you're not faking your way through that. No, no. And especially with the straight jacket stuff, because it's all it's instrumental. So, like, there's no vocals you can cue yourself off of. There's no like, you know, there's no lyrical content for you to base your like tempos off of. You know, I don't know. I mean, I can sing a line in a song to get a tempo. You know what I mean? Like sure. when you're learning it, you know, you can't do that. I mean, you can if you know the melodies, you can do it. But like when you're learning 40 songs you know it, it all starts to blend together but you, you know you gotta you gotta know the songs just stone yeah. stone cold so, yeah yeah so i figured it out man and like you know it, it was great and then i was with that band for six for six years man it was a really really fun run man it was like went all over man with those guys and it was like you said you know it's they had definitely have a cult following where you know, it's funny. A buddy of mine said, man, he goes, you know, he's like, you, you don't realize, you know, that gig. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course I know what that gig is. He goes, no, man. He's like, he's like a band like that. You know, it's not when you get to the gig, people aren't thinking like, well, I wonder what this band's going to be like. It's like, I wonder what songs are going to play tonight. Right. And right. when he said that, it like totally sunk into me. I was like, oh man, like, you know, cause once you start to know people in a band, like you think of it differently. It's not like when you go see a band and you don't know anybody, it's like, Whoa, man, that's that, that band. You know, they're like, you know, it's like, they're, you know, they could be like the Rolling Stones or something. Cause it's like that, you know, right. You don't see behind the curtain. You know what I mean? You see this killer, this kick-ass band that comes out and plays killer music and everything's perfect. And you go home, you know? And then once you meet the guys, it's like, you know, it, it becomes a different thing, but you know, it was like one of those things for me, it, it actually was better because like I got to know their personalities and then like learn, 
you know, like when I hear Eddie going for this, I know he's going to go for that. You know what I mean? And I can support him that way. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. That's how I, that's how I think, you know, and to me, that's, that's why I love being in a band because it's not like nothing against guys that are, that do the side, side man role. And that's like, you know, a lot of jazz guys, that's like, they're always floating, but I, I find more, I get more personally out of like being able to read a guy on stage like before he's even there, you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, I mean, it's just developing that that musical relationship, and and there's a certain amount of, you know, I, I you know, I call it telepathy. You know, it's oh yeah, it's it's kind of sure. like you know exactly what your guitar player's gonna do before he ever does it, so that that influences how you're getting ready to come into this chorus or this this middle eight or or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. And I would imagine playing a gig like the Straight Jackets, I mean, the catalog is so huge that, you know, I'm guessing no two gigs were the same, right? Right. Well, they actually, you know, by the time I joined the band, it was, I think they'd already been together like 13 or 14 years, you know, so they had developed kind of show standards, you know, that they had to do each night what you know crowd like what the crowd like basically you know there was probably 10 songs that if they didn't play you know people would complain <laughs> well sure yeah you know what i mean so like when you're doing 75 to 90 minutes you know 10 songs is probably half your set you know what i mean right so like you know we would do certain songs for certain tours you know what i mean like we would bring you know, that was the other cool thing about that band, um, not to get sidetracked, but like they would go out and do a Christmas tour where they would do a whole different set of music for like a whole tour. And it was all Christmas music because they had a Christmas record out. And then when I my years in the band, we recorded a second Christmas record. So we had like 20 songs that we could go out and play of just pure Christmas music, which is cool as hell in a rock and roll instrumental band. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, and, and it's another way to to stay busy and, and to monetize that music. Right. I mean, it's, it's something different and special and it sells tickets. Right. And, um, so, you know, we would do, yeah, I mean, there was definitely learning, um, material, like a lot of material for me to learn, but it kind of ended up becoming like, you know, we would do the standards and then because that band, always records man they're always working in the studio on stuff right like we would just we would we would do 10 of the classics you know and then 10 or whatever you know or however many of the new record that we're either working on or or just finished and so like you know like we would go back every once in a while and they'd be like hey let's try this one and i'd be like oh yeah let me learn that one real quick you know what i mean like (laughs) it was like oh yeah i'll go learn it you know like and they would be like oh right 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 well you know we'll do it in another day or something but you know, it was like they it's pretty crazy. They they have an in, insane amount of songs that they can go back and pull from. And, and and that was one of the things, too, that I loved about that band is they were never like complacent. You know what I mean? Like they were always like, what's the next thing we're going to do? Oh, we're going to do a Halloween 45 with Southern Culture on the Skids. OK, great. Oh, now we're going to do a you know, now they've been doing stuff with like Nick Lowe. I think they did a they might have done a full record with Nick Lowe already. Or they're working on it. Maybe I just spoiled it, but I think it's already out. <laughs> I think it's already out. Hey, They've the secret's safe him. with me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one will know. No one will know. No, I think that's already out. Um, but I know, and, and they just did a tour with Marshall Crenshaw. I mean, like, 
you know, those, they're just so cool, man. Like they're really cool guys. And they're always like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a hot rod record with like Deke Dickerson? Well, then they did it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like they go from idea to product, like within it's, you know, I remember Eddie joking with me one time, like, you know, like shortly after I joined the band and I'm like, I'm like, Oh man, this is really cool. Like, you know, I get like a, a tour book sent to me, you know, before the tour started with all, all the information, you know, all the shows, you know, all the drive times and this, you know, I go, man, this is really cool. He goes, yeah, man, Jake runs this business like NASA, man, you know, and Jake was the, is their manager, you know? Right. And when he said he runs it like NASA, man, like that just stuck with me forever. Cause you know, it was part in jest, but then also part in like, no man, like Jake's really got this together, man. And like, you know, Danny used to do, Danny would put together, like they'd get those tour books done and then Danny would print them out. Danny was the other guitar player. Um, and he would print them out and they'd like be like this really nice, like I used to keep them, you know what I mean? Cause it'd be like this nice, you know, booklet, you know, with a, with a image on the front and it would say the tour dates and like each day was like, and I was just like, damn man, that's so cool. You know? Right. And you know, as this, that was before iPhones and, you know, master tour, you know, the app, <laughs> there's an app, you know, it basically does the same thing, but no one has to do anything but fill in information and, you know, but right. If there's a schedule change, you just get a text message on your phone and it's like, a, yeah, a, you know, yeah. lobby call is at eight instead of nine, you know, don't be, right. don't be late for the bus. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, so that was like such a, a, uh, amazing time for me. And I don't, I don't, I can't express that enough. Like, those guys really took me from being in a band that was a really great band, you know, the high risers that it was touring regionally, but it, they took me to like a level of, you know, professionalism that like I hold very dear to me. You know, those guys did everything right. You never were like chasing people down for, you know, the lobby call, like everyone was pro, you know what I mean? Like it was just such a well-run experience especially from my very first tour where like you never knew what was going to happen when the Western swing band, if who was going to be on the gigs or if we were going to make the gigs, was the band, you know, was the van going to make it, was the band going to implode by the time we got to the gig, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sure. so, you know, to where like, it was just like super cool. And like, you could go record store shopping and you could just, you know, yeah, man, we'll get to the gig. And you know, we got this amount of time and, you know, the hotels are, you know what I mean? Like just totally, yeah. everything was worked out, man. And, and those guys, and I benefited, man, from all their hard work because they did the hard work before I joined that band, you know, and developed that, as you said, cult following of really good fans that were like just ready at every gig in, you know, it was awesome, man. It was an awesome gig. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a great experience, and and being a part of a well-oiled machine like that, you know, I mean, it it sets you up for kind of the next chapter in your life. Um, yeah, you know, which let's let's talk a little bit about your current gig now. Um, I, I understand that you guys are getting ready to head to Europe here just any second now uh you know i yeah i hope i'm not keeping you from packing your bags but <laughs> oh no i do that the hour before i leave are you kidding and i'm <laughs> i i pretty much have had a suitcase three quarters of the way packed for the last 20 years of my life man yeah 
my wife and I were talking about that one night. We were out to dinner with friends of ours, and and someone said, "Man, it's like do you get do you get nervous about traveling or like you know about packing your suitcase?" And I said, "No, nah, I pretty much have had a suitcase packed for." And then my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, wow, going on like 20 years, man. <laughs> like, it's kind of scary to think about, you know, but like, um, so I put that off to the last minute. But no, we leave on Wednesday for about four weeks. Okay. And now uh, that's with JD. And um, so the JD gig, man, this was really cool. Um, I was in little straight jackets and we would always, Chicago was one of our big markets, you know, in, um, I got to know Jimmy Sutton, who's a really great bass player, really dear friend of mine, um, Chicago native. And um, just we became total buddies, man, because he would always come out and sometimes we'd stay at his house, you know, or, you know, he had this really great house in Chicago and they would always have like cookouts if we were there in the summer, you know, and I met a lot of musicians through Jimmy and and that's how I met JD. Um, we were coming through with Low Straight Jackets and me and Eddie showed up at a gig after our gig. Jimmy had this, Jimmy's a great bass player. I think I already said that, but like a little known fact about Jimmy is Jimmy's a really good guitar player as well. He had this band um, called Jimmy Sutton and his rock and roll guitar. And they would play like, I think he had like one gig. He had like a steady Sunday gig at this place in Chicago. And it was like a late gig. It was like a 10 to two or 11 to two, you know, it was like a late night, gig it wasn't after hours but like a lot of musicians would show up there because you know a lot of things would be over and people would go there and hang out or whatever and me and eddie played a gig and we we're like man it's early it was like we, we play like a, for some reason it was like a oh it was a sunday so we we we'd done like a matinee or something at fitzgerald's this really good club in, Ch in chicago and um we were like just chilling and we we're like man something's got to be going on on a sunday in chicago you know so it I don't know if he thought of it or I thought of it. We're like, oh, let's go check out Jimmy, you know? So we went and saw Jimmy, Jimmy's band play. And uh, it was really cool, man. It was a really fun night. And he goes, man, you got to check out this new guy I'm, I'm recording, you know, this guy from Oklahoma. <laughs> and, um, and we're like, oh, sure, man. So he played us some, some of the Signs and Signifier record before it was even mixed. You know, it's just like they had just started doing some tracking. And I was like, man, that's really cool. And he was like, man, that's really cool. And then, you know, find out it was it was jd and jimmy's like yeah he had this other band the Starkweather boys and eddie was like oh man i saw them at a festival you know in spain a couple of years ago they were great you know and um jimmy's like yeah you know he contacted me he said he wanted he had some songs and he wanted to come to chicago and, and record them in my studio so we're we're doing this project you know and then i don't know like a year later jimmy called me and said hey man um I think we're going to do a gig. You know, I really, I, I got this, I got this gig going with JD, you know, we we're finishing that record and we're starting to put together stuff. You know, if, if the opportunity comes up, would you be interested in do, playing some drums on some shows? And I said, yeah, man. And a little backstory on that was Jimmy and I had talked for years, probably two or three years about, him and I doing something on the side from little straight jackets or his thing, you know, like starting something. Cause he dug my plane and I dug his plane, but I lived in New York at the time. He lived in Chicago. So it's kind of like one of those things you're like, man, if it ever came up, this would be great. We would love to do this, you know? And he's like, you know, I'm still trying to figure out a way to get something going with you. And he's like, I got this thing with JD and 
you know, he doesn't really have a band. We're not sure what's going to happen. It's probably just going to be some festival stuff here and there. Cause he's a teacher, you know, he's still teaching at the time. And he's like, but you know, if you're interested, you know, maybe it'll work out. I said, great. So then, um, about a week or two later, he called me and goes, Hey man, I actually got offered this gig in Seattle. Um, it's not with JD, but JD's going to do it. Can you do it? And I couldn't cause it was like little straight jackets was going on the road. And I was like, so bummed out. You know what I mean? Cause I was like, Oh man, this would have been the first time we've ever got to do this master plan that we've been, you know, scheming on for years, you know? And he's like, don't worry, man. He's like, I get it. I get it. You know, it'll happen. It'll happen. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Well then six months later he calls me and goes, Hey man, so the record's done. It's out. And I think we had done it. We had done a show with JD and Jimmy and he was using Alex Hall on drums who was also the the engineer on that, on the first record and, um, and some other Chicago guys on a gig in Chicago with little straight jackets. Those guys opened up and, um, I saw the band and I dug it, you know, well, he called me and said, Hey man, um, a bigger label is picking up the record. We got management. JD needs a band. Are you interested in doing some touring? And I said, well, if you know, my schedule, little straight jackets permits, I would love to. And he's like, great. He's like, I'll be back in touch. We're putting some stuff together. Hopefully you can do it. And I was like, great. And as luck would have it, they were doing like a two or three week tour of Europe. And like Los Straight Jackets had just finished a record. So we weren't touring yet. You know, we were waiting to get the record out. And, you know, there's always that lead time between when a record's finished and it comes out. And, you know, and you don't want to go out and play right away because when the record comes out, then you're going to play. You don't want to overplay your market, you know, I mean, you know the drill. Sure. So I had, I'm looking at like three months off, you know, or like two months off of time. That tour fell in like the beginning of it, you know, and I took it and it was great. Like me and JD hit it off and, you know, playing with Jimmy was great. And, um, and they said, Hey man, we got another tour in the States. Um, would you be interested in doing that? And I said, yeah, depending on when it is. And they said, well, it's going to be, uh, in December. And it was like, it was either right before or right after Los Straight Jackets Christmas tour, or they weren't doing a Christmas tour or something. You know, it fell into a place again where I was free. Yeah, your window was open. My window was open. The door was open. So I jumped through it, you know, and um, we went out and did it. And it was great. And it was really fun. It was a really fun tour because it was just a three piece band, you know, can, you know, which is hard to believe now because it's more like a five piece band with pianos and organs and right, you know, saxophone and multiple guitarists. And, you know, like it's a huge operation now, but the first tour in the States was me, Jimmy and JD bombing around in my van, like just going from town to town playing some places. Jimmy would know a saxophone player and we'd have them sit in and they would play, you know, but generally it was a, a three piece band. And, um, man, I, you know, I wish I'd have caught that tour. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, when we, you're when you you're t telling that story, it's like, wow, you know, how cool would it have been to see it in, in that kind of setting, you know, as a three piece and, and just kind of bumming around in a van, like you said. Yeah, it was great, man. It was like we had so much fun. I remember one of JD's buddies was with us for a while, kind of helping out doing tour managing stuff or, you know, just just selling merch, you know, and like I've become really good buddies with him and. You know, it's like it was just one of those tours where like you just it was great. It was like a lot of fun. And you were like, man, this could really be something, you know, like this 
you know, the reception was really good and it was just unique, you know, like we've never played again as a trio since then, you know, we, we instantly, well, okay, well, well, I'll finish that. So we get done with that tour and it was great. And, and JD and Jimmy were like, man, this is, I think this may work, you know, like we're, cause you just never know what's going to happen, man. You know, you could get on the road and people like, could be like, no way, right. don't dig it. Yeah. Like the record's great. Don't like the live show or whatever, man. Or it just doesn't work musically amongst the three guys or, or whatever. And so I went back on the road with Little Straight Jackets for a little while. And then um, they called me again and said, hey, man, we're doing South by Southwest. Can you do it? And I was like, sure. You know, I'm off. So I went down and did it. And we played a couple shows. And at the end of that, you know, uh, that tour, I got home. And then JD, JD called me and goes, hey, man. Uh, we really want you to join the band and we got a booking agent now and we got, you know, our management's all solidified and we're like going full speed ahead. And we really want you to join the band. And I was like jumping for joy in one, you know, in one emotion. And then the other emotion was like, I don't know if I can leave little straight jackets. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, sure. I mean, that's a huge decision to leave something that you've been in that long. That's successful. Um, it's, you, you know what it is. You know you're going to make a living doing it, right? Right, and, yeah. And to go with the unknown that, you know, could be a better opportunity or it could, you know, grind to a halt in six months. Yeah, that's a, that's a right. tough call, man. And, you know, it was one of those things where, like, I just, like, I had this gut feeling, you know, about, like, man, I think this is really going to, I think this could take off. You know what I mean? Right. And, and another thing was like, I'm, you know, and I'm going through all this and I'm talking to my wife and she's like, she's like, you know, you have the upper hand in this because a lot of times when people make a career move, they don't know what they're really getting into until they're there for six months. She's like, you've been touring with these guys for about a year on and off. Right. You, you know what you're buying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, these guys on the, what they're like on the road, you know, you've known Jimmy, you know, for years now and you've been working with them. So like, you kind of know what you're getting into, you know, and yeah, it's a, it's a, could be like a step back as far as like, um, you know, security wise, you know, because like you said, straight jackets are a well-established band. They do great. They, you know, record and, you know, everything is a plus, you know, everything, there's no like, well, but then there's this ugly side to it. There was none of that with low straight jackets. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was kind of like a, just a great gig through and through. And I'm like, well, you know, I haven't, there's, I haven't seen any bad side of, you know, the JD thing. And, you know, I like all the guys, I like the music and, you know, my wife was like, then you should just do it. Like, go for it. You know, we're still, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, it's going to be, I don't know. Like you, you can still do something different if this doesn't work out. Like, I mean, you're young enough in your career where, you know, but you're, you've been around enough to where like you can still, you know, do other things, but people know who you are and, you know, I think you're going to be fine. And I'm like, yeah, I think, I think I need to do it, you know? And, uh, I got to tell you, man, it was the hardest call I ever had to make. Like, you know, all I can say is like, breaking up with like a girlfriend or, you know, uh, you know, something significant other, you know what I mean? Was what it felt like when I was calling 
my old manager in, in Eddie and explain to him that I was leaving the band because I was so close with all those guys, you know? Well, yeah. And, and, and it was their, their manager was so great, man, Jake. Uh, and I still talk to him on a regular basis. You know, he goes, man, he goes, uh, that's a two-sided answer. He goes, my first answer from a friendship standpoint is I couldn't be happier. He's like, because I think that guy's got some potential. I think it's a good move, you know, for you. Worst case, it's a lateral move, but he goes, I don't even think it's that, you know what I mean? He goes, I think it's like, it's a good fit for you. Like it, musically, it's like a good fit. Like, I think you're going to do well. And I think he's got like a pretty good, you know, outlook, you know, JD's music in his career. Like, I think it's going to be fine. You know, I think you're going to do great. He goes, as a manager, I hate you. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to lose you. Right. Like, you know, you, you've become a part of the family. You're my friend, you know, and to, to know that you're leaving is a tough thing, you know? And it was really hard for me because I really loved every one of those guys and I still do. And it was like, it was a mind thing, you know, it was like, you know, you just go from what you know and what you love to something that you really like, but it's new and you're like, oh, am I doing the right thing? And then, you know, once I got in the swing of it full time, you know, like it was, it's been great, man. It's like, I, I love these guys as much as I love, you know, playing with little straight jackets, you know, it's, it's obviously a totally different band and I don't play a drum solo on every song or, <laughs> or, or, or sort of a drum solo on every song, you know, it's like, I, it's a, it's back to like, um, more of my R and B roots, man, you know, of like being able to just play a groove you know i mean we're playing songs but you know what i mean it's not like the the flashy sure. you know you know like i remember at one point the bass player in most rage i guess pete who's also a really good drummer i should add um uh said to me he goes yeah he goes if there's a hole fill it you know and he was like you know he was joking but he was serious you know what i mean he's like in this band there's no vocalist so like at any given moment who, who's ever soloing is the vocalist you know what I mean? Right. So like if there's a hole and you can come up with something cool, you should do it. You know what I mean? Cause like no one's going to tell you not to, you know? And it was great, man. Like that's what every, you know, 20 year old drummer wants to hear when they join a band. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're not too loud. Right. The gloves are <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. I remember him saying like, Hey man, so if we play a fast song, make it really fast. And if we play a slow song, make it medium tempo. You know, like, <laughs> he was so funny to me, man. Like, you know, and I just like, I was like, okay, man, you know, like no problem, you know, like, and that was a cool thing too, um, is they didn't want me to try and mimic Jimmy. You know, they're like, you're not, you know, we don't want to like Jimmy did his thing and Jimmy's great and you can't play like Jimmy and we don't expect you to play like Jimmy. We want you to play like you and develop your own thing. And I was like, that's really cool too, man. Like, you know, certain, certain bands, you know, you have to play exactly what's been played for 20 years. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And those guys were like, don't do that. Don't worry about what Jimmy did. Cause that's Jimmy. And you know, we're not hiring you to try and be another Jimmy. We're hiring you to be you. And you know, and that's that's the greatest feeling in the world is is when your new band says you come in you be you you don't have to you know be a carbon copy of the record or or last tour or whatever that's that's really refreshing right. yeah and, and you know and it's great too and I, I and I'm I'm sure 
that when I left and Chris Sprague took my place, I'm sure they said the same exact thing to him. You know what I mean? Because they're just great musicians and they know that like they're going to get the best out of you when you're comfortable and you're only comfortable when you can be yourself. You know what I mean? That's right. Absolutely. And, and they, they were great about that. So that's, that is, you know, also part of like the whole thing for me with being in those straight jackets. I just, it just opened my eyes so much to what like a pro band, like a truly professional band wants to get the best out of their players. You know what right. I mean? And, and they're not going to put you into, you know, into parameters that may not suit you. You know what I mean? They're like, you're a good player. You've made the cut in the band or whatever. You know what I mean? Now you just be you. Absolutely. And it was, that was, that was great, you know? And then the cool thing about with JD is, you know, aside from not being on the first record, you know, I've been the guy in the band, you know what I mean? So like, I've kind of like made my own, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm kind of like, I, I've been able to kind of, work my own, you know, come up with my own ideas, you know, as far as like, you know, for my parts or if JD hears a part and he says, Hey man, try something like this, you know? And then it usually becomes like a mix of like what he hears in what I can play, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause like, you know, cause like when someone describes something, you know, it's like sometimes they don't describe it the way they they, their mind hears it. You know what I mean? Oh I, yeah, absolutely. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, and, and, and that's the, that's the, the cool thing is like those, you know, this band is, is really, um, yeah, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's very, um, it's fun. It, the last, you know, I've, I've got to be a part of the records, you know what I mean? In, in, in help, you know, develop, my parts. Um, and I know like a lot of bigger bands, you know, that's, that doesn't happen. You know, they have sung, you know, there's songwriters and there's studio musicians and then there's a touring band. And in this band, you know, um, I, I've been, a, I've been a part of, you know, of, of the, the second and third records, you know, and the 45s that have come out and, and other things that we've released, you know, it's been, it's been great to be in the studio and, and come up with stuff and help, you know, finalize arrangements. And, you know, it's great. It's like, I've continued on the same thing that I had with Los Straight Jackets now with, with JD and it's been great, man. Um, Absolutely. Well, the new record, um, you know, undivided heart and soul, it's a fantastic record. I mean, I, and, and I'm not just, you know, blowing smoke. It's a really good record. And, you know, the, the, the first single, um, you know, when I'm cruising around, I listen to outlaw country on satellite radio a lot uh, and, uh, you know, um, lucky penny, man. I mean, it's just, it's on all the time and it's, oh, such, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> such a great song and, and the groove that you play in it is just perfect for what JD does. And, and, you know, our show is primarily consumed by drummers, so a lot of folks may not know about JD, but I mean he is a, a bona fide guitar whiz, you know. And, yeah. And and you're I'm assuming I don't know this, but I'm assuming you're he's coming in with a riff or an idea or a certain you know sound texture and says, okay, man, you you come up with a groove to this, right? Yeah. That's basically on that song. You know, he's like. He's like, what do you hear? And I say, well, you know, like 
and that was he actually brought that up to my house in Nashville. We got together um, before, you know, he was getting ideas together to do this record. This was probably like in September, man. I had just moved into Nashville and um, he was already here and we were starting to get stuff together to record. And um, he played me this riff and he was like, what do you hear? And I go, well, obviously I hear a shuffle at first because of the way he was chugging, you know what I mean? Like on the, um, you know, on the choruses and stuff. And I'm like, I hear that, but I don't know if that's necessarily what you're thinking. He said, nah, he's like, it's gotta be something, something different. Like we got to come up with something different. And I was like, well, what about this groove? And I played him the groove that I played on the record, you know, which is like, I won't tell you the source of that groove, but it's kind (laughs) of a legendary, like, it's not like, um, it's not like a walk this way or a, you know, breakbeat thing, but it's sort of like there's, there was a certain um, Godfather of Soul, <laughs> and um, there was a song where they did this breakdown. And well, it was a breakdown, or if it was like a live version, you know, which isn't like the record version. It was like a live thing, and they they did this one song, and they had sped it up, and it was like I could never quite get what they were playing because you know there's two drummers and it's live, and but I would like play along to that as a kid, and I would come up with this groove that. You know, like when you playing along with something and you're like, well, I know this isn't exactly right, but this still works. Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, man. I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. But, uh, but, uh, I had that groove in my back pocket, man. Like I've always, like, I've always kind of done it, you know, like sort of at sound checks or something, you know, like it's kind of like a funky, you know, R and B groove with like, you know, I don't know, just like this weird groove. And, um, so I played that and he was like, he just like freaked out. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. That's, that's great. I love that. You know? So we did that. And then, um, and I, I told this story to, uh, another interviewer I did, you know, we were in the studio and, you know, we ended up putting breaks in, in that song, you know, there's those drum breaks in the guitar solo and, um, this is a guilty pleasure, you know? even though I was like obsessed with buddy rich and all these jazz guys, like I love ginger Baker. I just think he's like amazing, which not, a, I shouldn't say guilty pleasure, but like, it might be one of those things where people would be like, wow, that guy's like talking about buddy rich and Davey tough. But then like ginger Baker, I mean, but he's <laughs> such a great drummer. I mean, and he's a jazz guy, man. Like, I mean, yeah, for it may sure. not come across in cream, but like if you do any reading or any video, you know, any, video interviews with him he's like a total jazz nut you know what i mean and sure like so like i was obsessed with him as a kid and um you know he would do like these really cool tom fills you know and uh i did it once like i we were like there i was like oh man i don't know what to play and in in there in the engineer danny was like i don't know man do some of those incredibly increased you know roles that you can play like just do that you know that would be killer you know and i was like yeah i don't know you know like kind of like it just wasn't like speaking to me you know but i i think i did that i think there's some outtakes where i'm going completely bonkers you know but i was like man i'm gonna do like i go you know I was talking back to them in the in the booth and i was like man i'm gonna try a pass with like some ginger baker fills you know 
And I did it. And like, I think JD came running out and he's like, that is it. You have to do that. Those are it. You know, like <laughs> just keep doing that. We want like a whole bank of those, you know? So I did a couple passes with like a bunch of different fills and, you know, I kept coming back to the ones that are on the record. You know what I mean? Like I kept coming, like, you know, just simple, man, like boneheaded, you know, the, the flams, you know, or like the flammy type triplets, you know, sure. Broom, 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 broom. you know, like, I, you know, it's like just total ginger Baker, my interpretation of like, you know, those double bass ginger Baker fills that he would do around all the toms, you know? And, um, yeah, man. So that's, that's like a mix of, well, it works perfectly. I mean, it really <laughs> does. And I mean, it's just such a good groove and I mean, it's a great song. I mean, it really is. And, uh, you know, I, you guys played it on Conan. I, you know, I caught you guys on, on Conan O'Brien's show doing the song and man, it's yeah. just, it's just an awesome groove. And I, I'm sure that it, it translates really well in front of a live audience as well, you know? Yeah, man, that one, um, that was a really fun, um, like, uh, foot in the water kind of thing, man. When we were starting to do new material, you know, JD was coming up with stuff when we started playing that at live shows before it was out, you know, it was like, you could like the crowd was, would react to that one really well. And he'd be like, I don't know, man, I don't know about, you know, cause each record has been, you know, the first one is a, you know, R and B, you know, I, I, I hear that as an R and B record to me, like a straight Chicago R and B record, you know, signs and signifier. Right. And a lot of people say, Oh, it's a rockabilly record. And it's like, well, not really, man. Like this band, like I, I know we have upright bass and they're slapped, but I mean, Jimmy's like a Willie Dixon, you know, fanatic, you know what I mean? And all those great Willie Dixon recordings, you know, that's all R and B stuff, man. And that's slapped all over that stuff, you know? And, you know, they've never really considered themselves as a rockabilly band. It's more been an R and B band. And, um, but you know, we, some of the covers we would play are undeniably covers of rockabilly music, but as original music stuff goes, it's always been like an R and B thing in a real traditional sense. And, um, you know, the second record kind of pushed the envelope a little bit more of the rock and roll thing. And, uh, and then this third record is kind of like, oh yeah, we're a rock and roll band now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, let's not deny ourselves, you know, the fact that like, we're all secretly listening to like, you know, all kinds of music, not just, you know, strict R and B stuff, which we all love and still geek out about, you know, but like, there's this other side and, you know, when we were writing this record and JD was writing these songs, you know, that's what we were, that's what the band was into. You know what I mean? And it's like, we sort of bridged that gap on some of the record with, you know, songs like Bloodhound Rock. That's a, that's an R&B burner, man. That's like a straight up rhythm and blues rocker. You know what I mean? And um, I think there's a, like some of the sort of 12-8-ish, you know, like New Orleans-y, you know, R&B stuff kind of bridged the gap between the first record and the second record and the second record and the third record. And, you know, but it's, you know, it's like I love the fact that like he – is true to himself and the band is true to the band. Not like, well, you know, we had really good success. So let's just rewrite the sec the first record again, or let's rewrite the second record. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, man, we are, have to play what's true to us. And that's what we would expect from other musicians that we love. 
So that's what we did. And, you know, people have been really, really digging it. And it's, it's kind of like awesome. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like you can do what you love and people still like it. <laughs> it. It is awesome. It's a fantastic record. I mean, I love them all, but the the new record, fantastic record for anybody Thanks, that, man. yeah, absolutely. For anybody that doesn't have it, go find it and, and go see these guys as they're out on the road. Um, uh, it's, it's a great show. I mean, it really is. Um, Jason, we've taken up far too much of your time, but I do, it's a tradition here on the drum shuffle. You have to give all of the the guys and gals that are listening. We ask everybody, what's the one good piece of advice you can share, uh, with everybody, whether it's playing technique or how to get further in the business, give us your, your piece of advice. Man, I can tell you, this is something that uh, I was told when I was, uh, well, this is, this is, this is a, a, um, a theory that I was told in Little Straight Jackets. And it's, if you want to be successful in the music business, there's two things. <laughs> <laughs> the first one's kind of a joke, and it, but it's also true. You have to get up before noon in the music business <laughs> if you want to be successful. <laughs> you have to get up before noon. And the second piece is, do what you love. And, you know, stick with it and don't, don't waver because at some point, you know, you'll end up being the guy that when people want what you do, you'll be the guy that they want because you're, you know what I mean? Like if you love playing, you know, sort of like Afro Cuban jazz, you know what I mean? Just go for it. Like wholeheartedly listen to it, play it, love it and, and perform it and perfect it. And then someday the top, you know, Afro Cuban jazz band is going to need someone, you know, or there's going to be someone that needs that type of music. And if you develop this reputation of being this guy, that that's what he does, then, you know, you're going to build a career around it. You know what I mean? Like, yes. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you just keep saying like, well, I can, you know, like, I, I, I love, you know, Latin music, but, you know, country music right now is really hot. So maybe I should join a country band, you know, you, you, you might get a gig in a country band. You'll probably get a gig in a country band, but sooner or later, you're going to hate it because it's not what you love and it's going to come out and you're playing or people are going to be like, man, that guy's not really a country drummer. And, and then next thing you know, you don't have a gig, yeah. but if you stick with what you love, you'll work your way up, man. Like things will, you know, if you stick with it, <laughs> it's kind of like the last man standing. You know what I mean? If you don't give up and you stick with it and you keep honing your skills, eventually, you know, your day will come man. or you'll create your own day because you'll be so good that, you know, if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, no, but. it makes perfect sense. And I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's a great piece of advice. And, and, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're never going to see Jamie Eads or Jason Smay in a thrash metal band. <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably not. man. Right. Probably not. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's very true. You have to be true to yourself and do what you do. And right. if you do what you do. It will lead to something eventually, but, but yeah. do, do your own thing. I think that's great advice. Yeah. 
Jason, it really is, man. Jason, man, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. We really do appreciate it. I want to wish you the the best of luck on the run through Europe. Um, I know that's a a heck of a flight, man. So, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, gives me a chance to catch up on overdue reading. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's one good side effect of it. But you guys have a good run over there, and uh, come back on the show sometime. Let us know how the tour went, and uh, you know, we'd love to have a sneak preview of of the next record when it when it comes time. Um, you're okay, man. You're welcome on this show anytime, brother. Oh man, I really appreciate you uh, having me on. I really do, and uh, you know. Let's stay in touch for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will be in touch very soon. Thanks so much, Jason. Thank you. All right. See you now. See you. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode number 12 of the Drum Shuffle. Keep your emails coming. We love hearing from you. We love to answer your questions throughout the week. We love hearing your comments and suggestions for future episodes of the show. Our email address is the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. The web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find more information about me at jamieeds.com. You are absolutely going to want to hit that subscribe button on whatever service you're listening into. We have some fantastic guests coming up in future episodes of The Drum Shuffle. Uh, want you to tune in. We thank you sincerely for doing so. Uh, we are continuing to grow, and we can't do any of that without you guys. So we are genuinely thankful uh, to have all of you tuning in week after week. As always, until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.